I recently found myself in a position where I was discussing stereotyping and the effects of stereotyping with some friends of mine, and I thought that would make an interesting subject for a podcast. So that's the subject for today's podcast. I'm Stephen Hooper, and this is a 22 plus Y podcast. In social psychology, a stereotype is defined as a fixed, overgeneralized belief about a particular group or class of people. Well, that's fairly straightforward. And like it or not, we're all guilty of stereotyping. Yes, and that means you too. On a personal note, I try hard to be as open and accepting as I can. However, I must admit that I'm also guilty of stereotyping. We all are. But why? Well, stereotyping simplifies the social world in which we live and operate. It reduces the amount of thinking or cognitive processing that we have to do when we encounter a new person or new group or new situation. But let's go back. I've mentioned a couple of times. Let's look at where it comes from. There's some evidence that infants learn to accept like people to their parents easier than they accept unlike people to their parents. And stereotyping is a learned behaviour to some degree. A 2011 study found that children show evidence of stereotyping and prejudice towards many social groups by the age of four. Possibly they do this to simplify their world. Their brains are still developing. But they're learning the prejudice from their surroundings. Another study in 2017 in Canada found that infants between about six and nine months demonstrate racial bias in favour of members of their own race and a racial bias against those of a different race. This seems kind of odd, but the tendency to stereotype can be seen as perhaps one of survival, an instinct developed over millennia to trust and accept the people or the beings that are like them. We'll say people, but I'm wondering if this is limited just to the human race. But the interesting thing is, and this is where it becomes a learned behaviour, babies that were exposed to a mixture of ethnicities during those early months didn't show the negative bias or the positive bias. So the need to learn to accept a group of people is based upon their experience of the people that they've encountered when they're very small. So while the stereotyping or prejudice is a natural phenomenon, the effects can be taught and is dependent on their surroundings and what they've been exposed to in those early years or sorry, early months even. This is only between six and nine months of age. Looking at this from a practical perspective, 
Stereotypes enable us to make a quick decision, a quick response to a situation. But they also prevent us from knowing and understanding those groups that we are prejudicing against, be they people or things. And whilst positive stereotypes can help, certainly in the early months when we are helpless infants and we're dependent on other people that we trust, people that we've come to know will provide us with comfort, with food, with security. We develop a distrust of something that's not like what we've known. That prejudice, those stereotypes are generally harmful. Yes, in the early stages of our life they can be beneficial, in fact essential, if we go back to times when we were hunter-gatherers etc etc. But in the main we rarely discuss the positive prejudice or the positive stereotypes that we've developed and acquired, what we see are the negative stereotypes. Our overwhelming experience is of negative stereotypes and prejudices. For example, ethnicity, that's the obvious one. But then we go a little further and look at nationality. So if we were to look at ethnicity of, say, Frenchman or German, versus an Englishman we would develop or we would have a stereotype or a prejudice towards somebody from a different nation even though they are of the same race that's a learned behaviour likewise culture if we take the UK we've got a north-south divide which everyone talks about everyone knows exists that's a learned behaviour and again lifestyle just look at all the things that are going on today with the uh, LGBT uh, community versus, if you like, and I hate to say that versus, because it shouldn't be an against, it shouldn't be a them and us, but against the heterosexual group in the Western world. In most of the world, sadly. So these stereotypes exist, and generally they are not serving us well. But we have to understand that there is an evolutionary element to this. So it's necessary to teach the positive of stereotyping, which is by exposing people to different experiences, so that our experiences of stereotyping are positive rather than negative. We should also recognise that stereotyping always places the negative on the party that we are imposing that stereotype upon. We never look at another group and impose a positive stereotype. It's always with respect to our position being in a better position than the other. The grass is not always greener when you come to stereotyping, it's actually completely the opposite. Over the last six months or so, I've been meeting a lot of different people and I've been exposed to meeting the same people in the main on a weekly basis 
from a vast background of cultures, experiences, lifestyles, etc. If I look back to the first time I met some of these guys, I was initially misguided by the stereotypes that I held and my presumptions about the people that I'd just met hadn't even spoken to but I'd I'd already made presumptions about what they were going to be like and that's pretty shameful except when you realise that it's a natural phenomenon but I'd made negative stereotypes I hadn't made any positive stereotypes I hadn't put anybody in a positive place as a result of meeting them without actually getting to know them. So we always see a stereotype negative to our position relative to where we are, which kind of makes us think that we're better and we're not. It's not a them and us at all. However, having now taken the time to discover the real people has brought me a much better understanding of the individuals involved. And I've removed them in my head from the stereotypical groups that I'd initially placed them in. Which sounds kind of daft, but I now look at these people as people and look at the things that I have in common with them rather than the things that I didn't have in common with them because they appeared to be from a different group and therefore would have different characteristics and traits that I wouldn't like. Which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. Unfortunately, I can't say that it's altered my overall stereotypical view of the groups that I had placed these individuals in, in my head, sadly. I still hold stereotypical images of certain groups of people totally unfounded or are they because it's a learned behavior some of the people within those groups may be people that I wouldn't like to associate with or wouldn't trust or whatever but that doesn't mean to say that the group as a whole needs to be judged in that way but how else do we protect ourselves from the unknown We can learn to trust individuals, but can we learn to trust groups as a whole based upon life experiences? I'd like to think we can, but I'm not sure, in all honesty, that it's something that we as people can do. Because I think there's still this evolutionary trait of needing to know what's safe and what isn't. What's good and what isn't good, as opposed to bad. And that comes through stereotyping and prejudice. And I think there's an element there that is innate in all people. And I don't think we can ever truly get away from it. Some of it's common sense. So let's take, for example, you're in a a less than reputable neighbourhood. It's dark. You're on your own. You're walking down a road. And there's an alleyway comes up that's dark. Are you going to go down it? It might be the shortest way home. Are you going to go down there? Or is common sense going to say to you, you know what? I'll swerve it this time. 
why it's just a dark alleyway? Well, the reason is going to be experience, learned behaviour. That, if you like, puts dark alleyways into a stereotypical group, particularly if it's in a less than desirable neighbourhood. It's still using a prejudice, but it's one of survival, perhaps. I don't know, I'm not an expert. But it seems to me that we might label it common sense, but that common sense is based upon an image that we've learned from somewhere. Going back to some of the people that I've met, I met a guy, he's quite a big guy. He's at least six foot, maybe more. Very well built, big guy. He has a, a rough beard and has a lot of tattoos, even on his neck. But those tattoos don't make the man. The man chose the tattoos, but the tattoos don't make him. And what he said was, and it was quite interesting, he very often finds himself being physically challenged by other people. And it's purely based on the way that he looks. And if you're in that position, it's quite scary because he can't change the size of it that he is. He can't change the fact that he's a big guy. He just can't change it. That's how he is. And the tattoos that he's got are mostly related to family and to the art that he loves. They're not vicious, violent tattoos. They don't depict acts of violence and skulls and all this sort of thing that you might associate with someone. They're actually really good works of art. Now, you might question the wisdom of having tattoos on a face or on a neck, you know, when you're coming to looking for jobs and things, but that doesn't define the person. It may have explained how the person was feeling at the time of getting them done, but it doesn't define the person. Yet we all instinctively have a prejudice against it. We have a stereotype in mind. But this guy is not violent. He's not a violent man at all. He's polite, he's educated, and he's very articulate. Yet he still gets people challenging him over crazy things. And that's down to prejudice and stereotyping. This instinctive behaviour that we seem to have based upon learned behaviour. It's a combination of the two. So a couple of examples where this has actually been in my personal life. 11 years ago, at the age of 52, I passed my motorbike test. I've been riding bikes since I was 17, but I never got around to taking a test. And I deferred it for about 35 years. But 11 years ago, at the age of 52, my kids had grown up, I decided to take my motorbike test and passed it. I just wanted to ride and I'd seen groups of people riding and I thought that must be great fun. So I wanted to find some people that I could ride with. Bikers. So I did a bit of googling and I found that there's a, a very open group. Well there was then, it's, it's since disbanded, but 
there was an open group and every now and then they would meet midweek in a pub for dinner. Everyone would buy their own dinner and they just have a midweek, you know, chat and, and laugh and things and that's what I understood. So nervously, I took myself off to the local midweek biker night at a pub. It's about 20 minutes away from me. I really wasn't sure what to expect. I'd never been involved with bikers. But I knew that I wanted to meet some new people. I knew that I just got my, my moat bike and I just got my license, nice shiny new license. And I wanted to find some people that would let me ride with them because I loved riding my motorbike. When I got there, there was probably maybe 22, 25 people, something like that, I don't know, all on a big long table. A load of tables had been stuck end to end and they were just finishing their dinner. I got there late because I didn't want to. I wanted to be able to get away if I wasn't liking it. I didn't want to be sitting there at a table full of food if I thought this isn't for me. So I turned up late. And what I found was a group of people from an immensely wide background. And they were lovely. Since then, I've ridden with these guys. I've actually been on holiday with some of them. Where we've gone on biking tours. And they're amazing. Now amongst that group of people that I've been riding with over the last 11 years. There's a guy who drives a bin lorry. There's a GP, there's a Boeing 747 captain, there's nurses, childminders, mechanics, there's an undertaker, there's builders. It's a massively wide background. And of cultures, because there are people from different races as well. But every one of them was a biker through and through. They loved their bikes. And they love the comradeship of riding with other people. And I trust every single one of them. But we have an image of what bikers are like. It's crazy. I mean, it's endorsed by the media and by movies. But these guys are, are amazing. These same bikers, they do charity runs. So they'll do a run and they'll raise money for, for charities for, for the less fortunate and they'll do that in different parts of the year and at Christmas time they do Santa runs so people will donate presents and then the bikers will dress up as Santa and they will visit hospices to deliver presents to kids in hospices for Christmas these are bikers but underneath the stereotypical image of a biker you've got a real person and these real pe people they value the, the comradeship, if you like, of, of being with other people that have same things, the same ideas in mind, the same values in mind. But, stereotypically, they're bikers. I've mentioned in previous podcasts that, professionally, I'm a salesman. That's what I do for a living, that's what pays my mortgage. But I learned a lesson over 30 years ago about prejudging people. I was a young sales support guy. I say young, I was yeah, late 20s, early 30s. And I'd been at an exhibition for three days, standing on an exhibition stand, 
talking about these machines to all and sundry, telling them what the machine would do, what it was capable of doing, looking at what they wanted to do with it, telling them how it would do it, telling them how much it was, doing a demonstration, all this stuff, the stuff that goes on on exhibitions. And if you don't do exhibitions, you won't know just how tiring they are. They're absolutely exhausting. So when you get towards the end of the exhibition, you are knackered, drained. So I've been doing this exhibition for three days. And one of the things we get at exhibitions all the time, because it's a technical product, is we get students coming along. Now, I realise that students today are tomorrow's managers and tomorrow's customers. But you get inundated with students. And if you've got the time, you spend the time with them. It passes the time anyway. But also, you're, you know, you're investing in the future. But very often, you've got students hanging around when you've got people that have got money to spend now. And the students get in the way. And they can be a complete pain in the arse, to be honest. And nobody at exhibitions enjoys the, the days when the students come round with their carrier bags full of brochures. Unless you're dead quiet. And if you're dead quiet, then you may as well spend the time talking to people. So you talk to the students and you, you get a kick out of it. But if you're not dead, dead quiet, then they can be an absolute pain. So at this exhibition, I had a guy turn up. It was about 15 minutes towards the end of the last day. I was exhausted. I just wanted to put everything in the car and the vans, load it all up, break the stand down and get home. I just wanted to go home. I'd been away in a hotel. I just wanted to go home. I was exhausted. And this guy came on the stand and he was quite clearly a student wandering around looking at this looking at that and I saw him coming along and he came onto my stand and he started looking at the machine and we, we made machines for the electronics industry for testing circuit boards that have been made in electronics factories and he started looking at this and started asking questions I'm just thinking just go away please just go away but I did my job he wanted a demo but I did my job and I told him about the machine I gave him an overview of the machine and gave him a very short demo enough and I gave him some glosses to put in his carrier bag with all the other glosses that were in there and I thought that was it I'm never going to see him again and finally I can start thinking about packing the stand up and getting ready to go home a couple of weeks later I got a call from a sales guy that worked in that county I won't say any more detail but he worked in that county and he was responsible for that territory for a particular territory and he called me and said we've got a, a demonstration to do um, and it's for this type of machine they're going to be doing this sort of thing these are the boards that they make the printed circuit boards that they make and they're interested in this facility and that facility I need a demo okay so I cleared my diary made the room ready did a demo or got ready for a demo got the machine all set up everything was ready and then the customer turned up and it was this guy. Now, he told me when he was on the exhibition stand that he was managing director of an electronics company. He was a student. He was obviously a student. But he told me he was a managing director of an electronics company. When he came for the demo, it turned out he was a managing director of an electronics company. He'd only recently been made a managing director of an electronics company because his father had got ill and retired from the business and had handed the business over to his son the student now he wasn't actually a student he'd finished his studies but he was he still looked like a student and he turned up for this demonstration 
I was gobsmacked. I felt a complete and utter idiot. I did the demonstration for him. We had a lot of technical dis- discussion as well. And probably about a month or so later, they placed an order for a machine to the value of about £30,000. Now, I'm talking about over 30 years ago. You know, £30,000 was half the price of a house. Over 30 years ago, yeah, £30,000 was was less than, well, it was just over half the price of what I paid for a two-bedroom flat. And he just spent it on a machine. So I, I've made my assumptions about this guy that he was just a student and he was wasting my time, just a tyre kicker. Um, he wasn't. He was a managing director of an electronics company. He was telling the truth and he bought a load of gear. If I'd not done my job and just kicked him off the stand as a student because I wanted to go home, he might have bought someone else's gear. So that was a lesson I learned. When we resort to negative stereotyping, we create two problems. First of all, we commit a grave injustice to the individuals or the groups that we are judging because we don't know anything about them. But we're making a decision, we're making a judgment. This not only can emotionally harm the subject of our judgment, the person that we're judging, but it's also a reflection of our own vulnerability. We need to remember that every individual is capable of being emotionally hurt. It doesn't matter who they are. We, with words and with actions, can hurt anybody even the strongest that you might think can be hurt by our words and our actions. And we can cause significant damage and harm to people just by making a wrong call, by stereotyping. Furthermore, negative stereotyping can result in our own financial loss. As you can see from my anecdote about this managing director student, that I'd encountered. But we're also limiting ourselves if we stereotype. We miss the opportunity to explore new cultures, new environments, new situations, new people. And this in turn can result in a significant loss of personal and cultural growth. Surrounding the stereotype is angst if you think about it the reason we're stereotyping is to protect ourselves to limit our exposure to the unknown and that is angst we're concerned we're worried about it and without knowing anything in some ways it's an irrational thing to do and if it's a if it's an irrational fear it's actually a phobia all based upon stereotyping from this you can see that it's essential that we recognize what harm can be done through negative stereotyping harm to others and harm to ourselves to our own growth and we need to strive towards a more inclusive and diverse way of looking at the world the cliche of celebrating the difference we don't need to celebrate the difference but we don't need to be worried about the difference we don't need to have anguish about it and we don't need therefore to worry about stereotyping it's not like these people are going to kill us or going into a new situation is going to kill us in most cases but what they do do is they cause us to divide 
and judge. And that's not a good thing. So we need to understand that, overcome the stereotype, recognize that, yes, there seems to be evidence for evolutionary background, an evolutionary element in developing a prejudice, a stereotype. But how relevant that is to us as adults is something we should be considering. And if we can eliminate them or break them down as much as possible, we can help, we can assist our own personal and societal growth financially and emotionally. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do the usual like, subscribe, etc. Tell your mates. I'm Stephen Hooper, and this has been a podcast by 22plusy.com. Have a great, non-stereotypical day. Bye.